stories of ambition, drive, success, and the personalities behind them. I'm Whitney Coonan. And I'm Macy McLean. And you're listening to Power in Heels. So over a year ago, we interviewed the very wonderful Stefania Varelli. She was the CEO of Women of Influence Plus. Women of Influence Plus is an organization that shares the stories of uh, women all around Canada, uh, and their goal is to inspire, educate, and connect people. It's a really incredible organization that we admire so, so much. But now they have a brand new CEO. She is changing the game and doing so many amazing things with the company, and we are so excited to interview her all about her new role with the company. We are thrilled to have the new CEO of Women of Influence Plus, Dr. Ramit Villain, joining us on the show today. Question, what do you want to be when you grow up? Has plagued kids for generations, but career anxiety is now at an all-time high. Our next guest wants us to ask not what, but who do you want to become with a book aimed for kids and adults. Please join learning architect and humanitarian Dr. Ramit Billin. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. This is so important. and Thank you so much for being here. Welcome, Ramit. Tell me how you came about writing this book. Dr. Ramit Billin has been participating with the Canadian Mental Health Association on a study. The resilience uh, researcher and education expert. President and CEO of Viewpoint Leadership and an expert on psychological capital. It's who you are that matters the most, and that who I want to be is already inside of me. And that is the story. I I, kind of wanted to start this off by talking about entrepreneurship and where you first saw yourself pursuing that, because not everybody, you know, when they're growing up, is like, I want to be an entrepreneur. So where did that kind of spark come from for you? I actually didn't think that either. So growing up, I didn't think that I would become an entrepreneur at all. Um, I actually thought that I was going to be a lawyer. And then in grade 12, my guidance counselor said, you should look into human resources. And at that time, I didn't even know what that was. And so he had handed me a brochure um, because we weren't Googling things at that time. And I went through the brochure and I was like, yes, I should get into human resources. So I always say that I'm a bit of an accidental entrepreneur. Um, I didn't set out to be an entrepreneur, but I also didn't set out to be an author or a researcher or do the incredible things that I get the uh, privilege to do now. And can you tell us a little bit about this accidental entrepreneurship and this this company that you happened to create while you were in school? Well, my first company is Jobs in Education, which I started and I sold it on its 18th birthday. And that was my first, that was my first baby. And it focused on recruitment in the education sector. It's still running today by a wonderful new owner. And it was kind of the middleman between school boards and private schools and international recruiters and those who wanted to work in the education sector. That company alone opened up my perspective. It gave me so many different opportunities. I was able to make connections. And we did a lot of social impact with that company where we donated um, to build schools. I did research um, in different parts of the world. We built a teacher's college from ground up. So it's funny in that it was a job board, but it was so much more than that because it's what I chose to do with it. Do you think that your learnings in HR kind of made you a different entrepreneur? You know, I, I am a people person. I love working with people. I love, I love teaching. I love facilitating. 
in terms of human resource management and what I learned through the courses that I took, I did see it aligned with who I am. Um, but in terms of the other side of me, which I, I really love the innovative piece, the creativity, the strategy and being strategic, I do think I learned a lot, but I, I am very happy with the route that I took. Talking about the company and, and everything there, you, you built it you know for 18 years and you had great success with it. But what did you think was the biggest challenge that you faced in building that company? The biggest challenge was understanding and recognizing that I was the bottleneck for its growth. And I had to come to terms with that because I could only take it so far. And as I get older, I'm learning this quite a bit and I'm able to recognize it now where I know I have a specific skill set. I can take things to a certain level, but if we want it to go to a different level or if we're trying to change directions, I may not be the leader for that. I'm the person to do it in other spaces, but not in this space. That must be a harsh reality to face because it is your baby. Like you started this, you have so much pride and love for the business and then to, to realize that you need to kind of let it go sometimes to let it um, grow even further. Isn't that the same with our children when they get kind of to that? Oh my gosh. They just <laughs> let them go and you don't want to, but you care about them and you want them to flourish. So you, you do that, right? When it comes to business, you have to let go of ego, right? This isn't about me. If we care about the company and we want it to grow, we make sure it's in the best hands. And it is, it is a harsh reality that, hey, those hands aren't mine anymore. Um, I could only take it this far. And I know that you've also done some work with the Canadian Mental Health Association. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so exactly one month before um, it was declared that we're experiencing a pandemic, I co-led the Canadian Happiness at Work study. And we focused on, are Canadians happy at work? Are they stressed? Um, are they able to manage their workload? What is stressing them out? And many, many, many Canadians were stressed, are still stressed. And so the big piece is what can organizations do to promote employee contentment, happiness, joy um, in the workplace? And so it was interesting, the data that came out of that, we wanted to share the data on International Day of Happiness, which was in March. And we didn't do that because we were starting to experience a pandemic and it just wasn't the right timing. Life changed. Dynamics changed, the workplace changed, how we communicate and track, all of that changed. And so that study might need to be redone again. <laughs> but it was really interesting for me to note that people are stressed now, but they were also stressed before the pandemic. But all these studies and all this looking into how, you know, people interact with each other and people interact at work. It, I, I very much see the HR side of you coming into this, you know, and it's interesting because you're like, oh, yeah, I stepped away from HR. Not really. I mean, it's still there, which is really interesting. I always find there's there's ways that our previous careers or previous interests kind of work their way into current opportunities. Whitney, I've never thought of it that way. So thank you for pointing that <laughs> out. And, and I think that I think you're absolutely right. It's how do we make the workplace better, right? If we're spending majority of our waking hours there, if I can help change it for the better, that's what I want to do. Well, a congratulations is definitely in order as you are now the new CEO of Women of Influence. That's very exciting. Thank you so much. I'm very excited. Uh, when did you decide that you wanted to acquire this company? That's a very good question. Um, and it, this also happened a little accidentally, I would say. I didn't set out uh, to acquire Women of Influence. It kind of wasn't on my radar at all. Um, I was looking to wind down my career, to be honest. And 
the opportunity came up. I was in a meeting uh, about something completely different. And I threw out a comment um, that led to this. We've been in talks for quite a bit and I didn't know if it would happen or if it wouldn't, uh, but it has. And I'm excited about it because the platform is fantastic. But it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, where you never know how one thing can lead to another thing that can lead to another thing. We were talking a lot about women of influence, but I think that some of our listeners might not necessarily know what it is or what the organization does. So in one sentence or less, what is Women of Influence Plus to you? If I were to put it simply, uh, Women of Influence Plus is a community that helps women achieve and I'd say sustain success on their own terms. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, Macy and I have been fans of the organization for such a long time, and we really identify with what um, you guys do, and it's it's really incredible. And <laughs> even now, when we look for inspiration, we're always looking at women of influence, like, what are they doing? <laughs> Who are they interviewing? Like, what sort of areas are they focusing on? Because we identify so much with what you guys do, and we, we love it. Stefania was a great CEO, but we're excited to see you come and take it over as well. Thank you so much, Whitney. I'm I'm excited. Um, when Power and Heels came knocking, I said, I have to do this one. So thank you so much for including me. <laughs> oh, you're flattering us. <laughs> you wrote this book titled, Who Do You Want to Become? And I know personally, even I have been asked many times, like, oh, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I think it's just this really difficult question, especially as you get older and you're like, oh, I have no idea. Like even today, I have no idea. Um, so what drew you to writing this story? And can you maybe kind of tell us a little bit about what it's all about? Absolutely. Macy, don't worry. I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. Um, and I think that's that's a case for many of us because things change. Life changes. We have different experiences. We, we fall in love with things that we didn't know that we would enjoy before. And I think that's okay. It's this thinking that, you know, we need to know exactly what we want to be. And it gives us this false sense of security that, okay, I have a direction. It's important to have a direction. Don't get me wrong. Um, but it's also, again, understanding that it might not go that way and that's okay. And so so when I was younger and I was uh, traveling around the world and I would meet with children and I would ask them that question and I would say, well, <laughs> what do you want to be when you grow up? And they would tell me their answers. And what I recognize is that they weren't telling me what they wanted to be. They were telling me who they wanted to be, right? I want to be a chef because I want to feed other families or I want to be a pilot because I want to connect people. And it was the who and the why that really mattered. And I, I remember coming back and I, it hit me that, you know, position titles come and go, but these children nailed it. It's not about the position title. It's more about who you want to be, not what you want to be. What you want to be, that's the vehicle, but it's who you want to be and why that's important to you that matters. So the children are the ones that really inspired the book. Um, and it, it was them that I wanted to write the book for as well as my six-year-old son. Stick around. Next up on Power and Heels. And then he shuts the book and he looks to me and he says, Mommy, the book was good, but it would have been better if there was a dragon in it. If you had to pull out a really tangible lesson out of your book, what would you pull out of it to share? Well, before I pull out the tangible one, let me share with you the not so tangible one. So my son is six years old and he, for the first time, read the book, which was dedicated to him 
from Aww. front to end. And <laughs> <laughs> well, as he did that, I'm like, this is a moment. I'm really into it. And then he shuts the book and he looks to me and he says, mommy, the book was good, but it would have been better if there was a dragon in it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I know. Yeah, so, so first thing is you'll have critics all the time. <laughs> they may come in the form of your children. Um, but in terms of tangible, I think it's more subtle than what the main message is, is Dylan, who's in the book, is struggling to figure out what he wants to be. It's a class project. And he realizes everybody else knows what they want to be. And he says, well, you know, is there something wrong with me that I don't know? And although it wasn't the intention of the book, I think it's such an important point that we often compare ourselves to others right? Well, they know what they want to be. They're in this program. They're doing this. They got this job. They got this internship. And we need to stop that because that's their path. We also don't know what else is going on in their lives, right? So that comparison piece, I think it's really relevant today that we need to stop comparing ourselves to others. Yeah, could not agree more, honestly. So your first opportunity working with women of influence came during a study that you partnered with them on, and it was all about tall poppy syndrome. Can you tell us what it is and also what the results of the study were? Absolutely. And so first, I didn't even know there was a name for what women were experiencing. So tall poppy syndrome, it was a term that was coined in Australia that talks about when people accomplish something or they achieve greater success or they get that promotion, um, they get cut down by others. They get ostracized. They get rejected, resented. And I, it was this thing that I knew people were experiencing. And as I was working with a group of women and we were doing this luncheon, I was hearing these stories about how they had been cut down um, throughout their careers. And I'm like, I want to learn more. I need to learn more. But more importantly, how do we stop this from happening? And I then learned that there was a label for it, which is tall poppy syndrome. And where that comes from, it's a metaphor of poppies, the flower. So poppies are expected to grow together. If one grows too tall, it gets cut down to size so that it's the same size as the rest of the poppies. We translate that now into the workplace. If one person quote unquote, grows too tall or it achieves more, are they cut down to size so that they're like everybody else? And so I focused on women in the workplace in Canada specifically, and I had partnered with Women of Influence as well as Thompson Routers. And I wanted to know, where is this happening? Who is it happening to? What's the impact on the individual? What's the impact on the organization? And more importantly, how do we fix it? And what we found was 87.3% of women had experienced tall poppy syndrome. Wow. It, oh, it's high. The number is high. And when I speak to people, they're like, yes, I went through that. Mm -hmm. We had 268 pages of data, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of stories. And I had to, I, I'm a researcher. I was analyzing the data. I had to read it like 10 pages at a time. It was very heavy. And I learned a lot from that. And as I was reading stories of others, I was like, oh, wow, I've experienced that. And I remember at the end, uh, there was kind of open-ended additional comments. And so many people said, I didn't know there was a name for this. So that's how it came about, was a luncheon with uh, people I know that are amazing, knowing that they've experienced it, and then finding out there was a name to it, and then wanting to do the research to see how we could fix it. And there's something else that I that I really admire about you. You're an entrepreneur, you're an author, you've done so many amazing things, and you're very, very busy. But at the same time, you're also a mom. Mm -hmm. And I find that really admirable. And I always look up to moms and because I just, you know, it, it's, a, it's a whole job in itself. And it, it's a very rewarding job, but it's a hard one being a mom 
alongside everything else that you do? What is that like for you? It's the hardest job. <laughs> My son, he is everything to me. Um, if he's not feeling well, nothing else matters. Um, and I always go back to that. Um, I know that you can't see this right now, but I actually, I have this post-it note and he wrote on his own, he grabbed the post-it note and it says, I love you, but he spelled out, he spelled love L-U-V. Um, and then he's like, Mommy, I put a happy face emoji on it. So it's, I don't know how he knows what emojis are, but that's a different story. Um, <laughs> But it's those little things, right? And I always go back to now, like like especially now, it's like he's everything. Like this is why I'm doing the things that I'm doing. And I want to be able to give him opportunities that I didn't have. And I know I didn't have certain opportunities because of external factors that I couldn't control. But if I'm able to not only give him, but children, but if I'm able to give opportunities and support people, yes, sign me up. I guess, Whitney, there's the HR side of me coming back, <laughs> coming <laughs> right back. Um, so in 2019, um, I donated so that uh, there were 280,000 books from different publishers, different authors that were given to children in need in the Niagara region in Ontario. If I can do that, I'm going to do that. So yes, being a mom, the most important thing to me, number one, number one priority. And it's challenging. It's not all I love you post-its, right? It's not all that all the time. Um, but those little things are the things that kind of make you sit back and say, I'm, I'm doing okay. Um, and during our little, like, I guess, pre-interview chat, we asked you to send us some challenges of yours that you've experienced, but also overcome over your your career. And one of the ones that you had mentioned was how people always underestimate you because of your age. Can you kind of tell us a little bit about this and then how you were able to kind of get past it? Of course, in Macy, that doesn't happen anymore. So it did happen a long <laughs> Hold time. Hold on. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm sure it does. Calm down. <laughs> Um, I, I don't feel like it happens anymore, uh, but I'll take it. I was an entrepreneur, you know, in my early 20s. And so what I realized was that I was underestimated a lot. And maybe in some instances, rightfully so, um, because you don't know what you don't know. Um, but what I also learned was that, okay, if, if people are underestimating me, they don't actually see me as a threat. So they are very open to having coffee with me or talking to me about their challenges or what's working for them. And so there was that piece that was kind of an aha moment for me. But the other piece for me was, okay, if they're going to underestimate you, instead of taking it personally, it was, okay, go ahead. And then I'm just going to let my work speak for itself. I love that lesson because... It's also something that a couple of my professors told me when I was in school. They said, like, you know, you, you as a student, you feel like, you know, you want to do so much. But sometimes people kind of look at you and go, oh, you're only a student, like, you know, not ready yet. But then they said, don't take it that way. Take it as, OK, they don't see you as a threat. They don't see that you're out for their job because <laughs> you're just a student. So take that opportunity to go on coffee chats and go talk to them and get all of their advice because people are more willing to share all their trade secrets with someone who they don't feel is a threat because once again, in my case, I was still a student. Exactly. And, and thank you for mentioning that because I remember when I was a student, I felt like it was a passport in meeting professors saying, hey, I'm a student here. Can we meet? It was like this passport where they'd be like, yes, right? Um, so if you view it that way, I think you open up the door to more opportunities and possibilities. And then there was one other challenge that you had kind of mentioned, and that was with your identity and how closely connected you feel that your business as an entrepreneur is. And um, I was wondering if you could kind of tell us about that one as well. Of course. And I think we we do this often, especially early in our careers, 
where we connect our identity to our business or to our role or to our position title um, so that when someone says no to you, you take it so personally when actually what they're doing is they're saying no to the service or they're saying no to the product because they don't need it at that time. Just as we ourselves say no to things, they're doing that as well. So I think we need to stop taking things so personally and disconnect our identity with our position title. So that's a lesson I think I had to learn very, very, very early on. Um, and the other piece I'll share too is how we view competition. It's really defining what and who are you competing against, right? And it might not be another company or it actually might be a company that's not even in your industry or field. And that's when we need to start thinking about things in different ways. So redefining competition, I think, is important because sometimes we get so caught up on what someone else is doing that we lose sight and we lose track of what it is that we're trying to accomplish. Hey, it's Macy and Whitney. We hope you're enjoying this episode of Power and Heels. Make sure to join the conversation and never miss a new episode by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you there. Talking about women of influence, you're you're the new CEO. How is that nerve wracking for you? Because now you're taking on a new team, you're taking on a new role, uh, something you haven't done before. Are you nervous? Do you feel great about it? What, what are you feeling? Oh, I'm feeling lots of things. Um, mostly excited. It is overwhelming. They do a lot, um, and I love what they do. And it's not that I haven't done it before because we have the event side and I've run events before. We have uh, the content side, which is fantastic. And then we have the uh, awards, which I love, right? I love the fact that we can put a spotlight on women doing fantastic things. And because I've partnered with Women of Influence on a few things, I feel like I, I understand the community, but I'm also still learning. And so for me, the biggest thing right now is really listening to the community and saying, what are you looking for with a company like Women of Influence? Um, and we are adding, we've just added a plus beside our name, right? Because it's not just that I identify as a woman, I identify as a woman of color. I identify as a first generation Canadian. I identify as someone who lives in an urban city. There are all these identifiers that contribute to every single experience I have, every single experience that you have. And so I want to make sure that's represented in our name. And so there's lots of things on my mind in terms of things I want to get done. And I do feel this huge responsibility to do it right. I wouldn't say that it's going to be easy, but it's absolutely going to be fun and exciting. And we're going to try to make the biggest impact that we can. Aside from adding the plus to the logo, are there any other changes or even goals that you hope to implement and achieve at Women of Influence? I love this question because yes, absolutely. So we <laughs> have our new website up. We did our call out for nominations for our top 25 Women of Influence Awards, which before was just focused on women in Canada. We're now including uh, those in the United States with a plan to be North America, spread into Latin America, um, and really go international. So I do. I, I get sometimes um, ahead of myself. So we're starting with by expanding to the States. <laughs> um, but the other side of it is in January, we're going to redo the tallest poppy study. And that one is going to be on the international stage. So it'll be the first international study of its kind. And what I want to focus on is, you know, how is this happening in different ways around the world? And so I definitely have my intentions of being more global with the organization. And we've already started to take steps in that direction. 
That's it's very exciting. You've accomplished so many amazing things over your journey so far. But if you had to pick something that you would say was the most bravest or riskiest thing that you've done that also paid off, what would that be? Oh, wow. That's a big question. Well, clearly, according to my son, it was not including a dragon in the book. Um, But (laughs) (laughs) Um, in terms of the riskiest things, some people can talk about investments, some people could talk about like buying businesses or selling. But I think it's more so choosing to live that life that was meant for you. But a big piece of that is you have to let go of what other people expect of you. And yes, they're going to be disappointed. And yes, they're not going to be happy with you. Trust me, have been through that. Um, But if they really care about you, they'll support you. So you sold your first company, but you also bought your first company. What do you think is the biggest lesson you learned in that side of things? I'll also add in there, Whitney, I founded a company. In oh, sorry. Yes, well. yes. Founded. <laughs> no. And I say that because it's it's buying, selling, founding. Um, there's so many lessons in all of that, right? And it's a lot of work. And you have to be able to put in the work. And And one of the biggest lessons is there aren't any shortcuts. Everyone's looking for the shortcut. I look for efficiency, but not shortcuts to get to my end goal. And I think that was a big lesson because sometimes we want to be quicker. We want to be faster. We want to get there now. But when we do that, we lose so many lessons that we can learn along the way. Mm -hmm. When it comes to um, buying a company, for example, there's obviously a lot that goes into it. And I've never done it. So I assume it's quite different from buying a house, for example. (laughs) What actually happens when you go to, you know, acquire a company, what are the the major details there that you have to think about? Whether you're selling or buying, you have to anticipate um, wanting to bang your head against a wall a couple of times. Um, (laughs) It's not easy. Um, There's lawyers involved. There's accountants involved. You need to do your due diligence. If you're selling, you need to provide um, the documents and they have to all be up to date and and you have to be able to answer very tough questions. Um, It's a process. There are times where you're like, why do people buy and sell companies? Like it's, it's difficult. It's not easy by any means. There are tax rules. There's things that you have to file. There's all these things that are involved. And I wish I'd known that. Not that I would have changed anything, but I could have prepared myself for that. It's just a lot of stuff. But you get through it. Um, And the most important thing there is you need the right people in place. So you need a good lawyer. You need a good accountant. You need a good advisor. You need to make sure you do your due diligence to get the right advice. And there were times in different things that I've worked on where I wasn't getting the right advice. And those were the days where you want to bang your head against the wall. It makes a difference, that trust piece. It's very evident that you've had um, a really amazing career and have achieved so many amazing things thus far. But if you had to go back, let's say to when you first started on this career path, knowing what you know now, is there any advice you'd want to give to your younger self? There's so much that I would tell my younger (laughs) self. And the truth is, I probably wouldn't have listened, even if I gave myself that advice. I wouldn't have listened. (laughs) that's that's good that's refreshing to hear because everybody's like oh I would tell myself this or that but we all know (laughs) that I think the best way to learn is through our own mistakes so I I kind of like that refreshing point of view a little bit 
And I've made mistakes. Like I probably made a bunch today too. Like I make mistakes, but I can't change those things, right? Like I and and, and I don't want to change those things because then I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today, um, or I wouldn't have learned the things um, that I have learned that have brought me here today. So yes, there's a lot that I would say to myself, and and maybe if if I had to, it would just be providing reassurance that you know. Things aren't going to be pretty all the time and they're not going to look great and they're not going to feel great, but that's okay. They're not meant to. That's a great piece of advice. Well, as much as we would love to just talk for hours on end, um, as I know myself and I'm sure Whitney can agree, we have learned so much up until this point. But before we completely close off the interview, we always love to give our guests this time to share any last words of advice or wisdom. Uh, The time is yours. I think the one thing that I would like to leave everyone with, and I say this often, is that time is our only real currency. And so oftentimes we talk about it in terms of where we want to spend our time, but I encourage you to think about where you want to invest your time. And there's a difference between investing our time and spending our time. And you and I, we have no idea how much time we have. And so I always look at it as, okay, this is my currency. Wow. That is, I've never heard that piece of advice before, but I absolutely love it. Thank you so much for sharing your stories with us today and your advice. I have learned so much from you and congratulations on being the new CEO of Women of Influence Plus. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.